Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. So since we're still in October, I thought today would be fun for a literary mystery. Sort of. (laughs) Um, It's technically a ghost story. And it had a lot of speculation about what was going on when all of this was playing out in the early 20th century. More than 100 years later, there are still only theories about what actually took place. Uh, Although the nature of those theories has almost always been more about psychological profiling than any paranormal. Today we are talking about Patience Worth and Pearl Curran, who I mentioned last year during our Ouija board episode that this might be an episode. And it finally is a year later. I mean, that's not that long, considering how long. No, ago some I of our stuff things. on the list is is way yeah. older than that. Yeah. So Patience Worth was an English woman born in 1649, maybe 1694. As an adult, she immigrated to North America, settled on the island of Nantucket, and she would eventually become a prolific and popular writer penning multiple novels and poems and other works. Uh, But that all happens after she was dead. She, according to this, was killed by Native Americans, and her writing career was centuries later. Uh, Because Patience Worth was just almost certainly a fiction herself, although for a long time it was claimed that she was dictating her writing through a Ouija board. Yeah, that life story are things that she told people Mm -hmm. that have never been verified in any way. Yeah, as as I understand it, this isn't a person we can conclusively point to in the historical record and say, like, here's her name on the ship's manifest, etc. Pearl Lenore Pollard, a very real person, was born in Mound City, Illinois in 1883. Her father was George Pollard, a railroad worker, and her mother was Mary Pollard. 
George, due to the nature of his job, went where work was, so the family moved pretty frequently. This was apparently not a life that Mary was really cut out for. She was not ever really able to find a way to live with the uncertain nature of her husband's job that was not very stressful. Uh, And after Mary had what is described as a nervous breakdown when Pearl was still a small child of four, uh, at that point, Pearl went to St. Louis for a while to stay with her grandmother. Pearl struggled in school. She was creative, and she got along well with her peers, but she just didn't do well academically. She later described herself as an impudent child and bored with school at an early age. She was given music lessons, which she saw as her one way out of a life that she otherwise thought was hopeless. Then at 13, her education abruptly ended when she had some kind of a nervous collapse. She told an interviewer in 1927 that she broke down. She chalked it up to, quote, too much piano, elocution, Delsart school, and entertainments. Details beyond that, we don't really have, but she did not return to school. She was re-enrolled, but the long break in her education meant that she was bumped back a grade. Rather than fall back to that lower grade, she just dropped out. She also wasn't raised in any particular religion and later in life recounted asking her father if there was a God, and her father replied, my dear, I don't know. Her only exposure to spiritualism was a brief stay with an uncle in Chicago. That uncle was a medium. She played piano in his church briefly and later said she didn't like the people that it attracted. In 1907, Pearl married John H. Curran, who was a land developer. Yeah, she, um, her early life is a little bit tricky to piece together because it does seem like she bounced around from relative to relative sometimes when her mom felt a little bit overwhelmed. Um, But she did end up back with her her mother uh, after a while. And then in 1912, Pearl and her friend, Emily Grant Hutchings, it sounds like Emily's husband and Pearl's husband were friends, uh, these two women decided to play with a Ouija board. There are different versions of this story, some where they were first at another woman's house and and then Emily got very interested and bought a board for herself, and somewhere it omits that part entirely, so it's unclear which of those is real. Um, but at this point in 1912, Pearl's father had recently passed, and Emily, who had been very much swept up in the tide of spiritualism that was happening in the U.S. in the 19-teens, spiritualism had been happening before that, but there was a particularly big wave of popularity then. Uh, She 100% believed in the supernatural, and she thought that perhaps she and Pearl could contact Pearl's father, George, on the other side. Pearl later described her own position on the matter as skeptical at best. She called it silly chatter. She was not afraid of the Ouija board, but she also wasn't all that interested. And the two ladies would kind of mess around with it when their husbands got together, but they never got much of anything but random kind of jittery pointer movements. Until July 3rd, 1913. When the two women sat down with the board between them that night, a clear message came through. It started with the word many, and then it quickly continued from there. When all the letters had been pointed to one by one, the message was, quote, many moons ago I lived, again I come, patience worth my name. 
There was a brief pause, and then the communication continued, and the ladies wrote down Patience's words as she spelled them out. Quote, wait, I would speak with thee. If thou shalt live, then so shall I. I make my bread by thy hearth. Good friends, let us be merry. The time for work is past. Let the tabby drowse and blink her wisdom to the fire log. At this point, one of the women commented that this communication was quaint, and then the spirit continued, quote, Good mother wisdom is too harsh for thee, and thou shouldst love her only as a foster mother. I do love the the line, let the tabby drowse and blink her wisdom to the fire log. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about some of Patience's other bits of wisdom later on. But this was merely the beginning because it turned out that Patience was a pretty chatty spirit. She communicated, it seemed, any time that Pearl Curran touched the Ouija board. Emily Hutchings did not have the same effect. It was Pearl, always Pearl, no matter who her Ouija board partner was. And from that very first instance, the dialogues were always documented with notes about the situation and whoever was partnering with Pearl on the Ouija. But these sessions with patients uh, are interesting in the spiritualism picture because they were never dressed up in the trappings that came with it. They were all very casual. They happened in full light, like in a living room. There were no incantations. There was no formality. This is not a lit candles in darkened room situation. It's like, would you like to come over and sit on the couch and I'll get out the Ouija board? (laughs) These sessions had observers pretty frequently because talk about what was going on with Mrs. Curran spread rapidly. Pearl had started to describe her own experience when communing with patients to her friends and family. This became a source of fascination for everyone they knew. Pearl said that in addition to the words patients spelled out on the Ouija board, she was also receiving mental pictures and sometimes additional text in visual form. Soon, Pearl and her husband, John, were essentially hosting just a continuous run of open house events where they served food. Anybody could come and watch Pearl and patients talk. And in a lot of cases, guests even participated. They acted as Pearl's Ouija partner while John recorded everything that patients was sharing. Guests could ask questions and patients would rapidly answer them. She was very quick with a sharp retort when any of the participants said anything that she did not like. One of the exchanges between patients and a physician who visited the Currens and was not a believer is a good example of this, and it went in part like this. The doctor says, I hope Patience Worth will come. I'd like to find out what her game is. And Patience quickly replied, Dost then desire the plucking of another goose? And the doctor says, By George, she's right there with the grease, isn't she? Patience replies, Enough to base the last upon the spit. The doctor says, well, that's quick wit for you. Pretty hard to catch her. The patient says, the salt of today will not serve to catch the bird of tomorrow. When visitors came and questioned patients, a lot of the time they wanted to ask about the future. But the spirit was always mum on such queries. She would not tell anyone the future. But she would write poetry, and she wrote a lot of it. She had carried literary ambitions, but she explained to Pearl that she'd just been looking for the right vessel to work through. At one point, Patience was reportedly sending as many as 1,500 words an hour through the Ouija. But eventually, that became too cumbersome, so Patience was just speaking directly through Pearl. 
Mrs. Curran described just sort of getting a feeling before it began, and then there was patience. Pearl didn't appear to be in a trance or tuned out of her surroundings in any way during these sessions. She could converse briefly with the people around her or lay out food on a platter or anything else that a hostess might do, but she was also speaking the words that Patience Worth was sending through her. One of the things that always sounded like a pretty amazing part of her story is that a lot of the witnesses say she never backtracked, never repeated words, and that she didn't include any filler words. All of Patience's communications came through clear with no kind of editing. Which is astonishing if you just listen to people in conversation at all. Uh, We are going to delve into some of the writings of Patience Worth after we pause for a word from our sponsors. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. One of the earliest pieces of poetry that Patience wrote through Pearl is as follows. A blighted bud may hold a sweeter message than the loveliest flower, for God hath kissed her wounded heart and left a promise there. 
A cloak of lies may clothe a golden truth. The sunlight's warmth may fade its glossy black to whitening green and prove the fault of weak and shoddy dye. Oh, why let sorrow steal thy heart? Thy bosom is but its foster mother, the world its cradle, and the loving home its grave. Weave sorrow on the loom of love and warp the loom with faith. So as we said, that was one of the earlier efforts, but Patience evolved and became a stronger writer and produced some really striking lines of verse. Here's an example. I am molten silver running. Let man catch me with his cup. Let him proceed upon his labor, smithing upon me. Let him with cunning smite my substance. Let him at his dream, lending my stuff unto his creation. It shall be no less me. The line, I am molten silver running, is so striking to me. I want to put it on shirts. Um, I just love it. It's one of those things that just, when I read it, I was like, oh, I love. Uh, Sometimes Patience would reveal more about herself and where she had lived when she was alive, theoretically, in the 17th century. At one point, she shared this recollection. Quote, Well, I remember a certain church with its wee windows and its prim walls, with its sanctity and meekness, with its aloofness and chilling godliness. Well, I remember the Sabbath and its quietude of uneasiness, wherein the creaking of the wood was an infernalism, the droning and scuffing of the menfolk's shoes and the rustle of the clothes of the dames and maids, the squeaking of the benches, and the drowsy humming of some busy bee who broke the Sabbath's law. I, well, I remember the heat that foretold the wrath of God, making the good man the parson sweat. I, and heaven seemed far, far. In 1916, Caspar Yost, who had become one of Curran's friends after Patience appeared, and who was also editor of the St. Louis Globe Democrat, wrote a book about Patience Worth titled Patience Worth, A Psychic Mystery, This was written with the Currens' permission and their collaboration. That book opens with the following message, quote, The compiler of this book is not a spiritualist, nor a psychologist, nor a member of the Society for Psychical Research, nor has he ever had anything more than a transitory and skeptical interest in psychic phenomena of any character. He is a newspaper man whose privilege and pleasure it is to present the facts in relation to some phenomena which he does not attempt to classify nor to explain, but which are virtually without precedent in the record of occult manifestations. The mystery of patient's worth is one which every reader may endeavor to solve for himself. The sole purpose of this narrative is to give the visible truth, the physical evidence, so to speak, the things that can be seen and that are therefore susceptible of proof by ocular demonstration." In this category are the instruments of communication and the communications themselves, which are described, explained, and in some cases interpreted where an effort at interpretation seems to be desirable. Make no mistake, though. Caspar Yost believed in patience. This book describes the early experience of Pearl Curran and her friend meeting patience in the summer of 1913. And he discusses patience as a real person, writing, quote, Patience, as a rule, speaks an archaic tongue that is in general the English language of about the time of the Stuarts, but which contains elements of a usage still more ancient and, not rarely, word and phrase forms that seem never to have been used in English 
or in any English dialect. Almost all of her words, however, whether in conversation or in literary composition, are of pure Anglo-Saxon Norman origin. There is seldom a word of direct Latin or Greek parentage. Virtually all of the objects she refers to are things that existed in the 17th century or earlier. In all of the great mass of manuscript that has come from her, we have not noticed a single reference to an object of modern creation or development, nor have more than a dozen words been found in her writings that may be of later origin than the 17th century, and some of these words are debatable. She has shown in what would seem to be a genuinely feminine spirit of perversity that she can use a modern word if she chooses to do so. And if she is living now, no matter when she was on earth, why should she not? Yost then goes on to catalog all of the interactions with patients up to that point uh, when he wrote the book. And so there's a lot of, of record of what she had said included in this writing. After Yost's book came out, Patience Worth's work had an explosion in popularity. The whole country wanted to see Pearl and Patience, and if they couldn't do that, they wanted to read more about them. And in a very auspicious bit of timing, Patience was ready to write a novel right around this time. Her first book was The Sorry Tale, which relayed the last several days of the life of Jesus from the point of view of one of the other men crucified at the time. The book includes a preface that explains to anyone who might not be familiar with the workings of Patience and Pearl's relationship, quote, Mrs. Curran, through whom all of this matter has come, is a young woman of normal disposition and temperament, intelligent and vivacious. She receives the communications with the aid of the mechanical device known as the Ouija board as a recording instrument. There is no trance or any abnormal mental state. She sits down with the Ouija board as she might sit down to a typewriter, and the receipt of the communications begins with no more ceremony than a typist would observe. Mrs. Curran has had no experience in literary composition and has made no study of literature, ancient or modern. Nor, it may be added, has she made any study of the history, the religions, or the social customs of the period of this story, nor of the geography or topography of the regions in which it is laid. The introduction also details how, initially, patients normally dictated 300 to 1,000 words of the book to Pearl in a sitting, but that she would also dictate verse and didactic or humorous conversation in the same sittings. But then the sessions became more focused, and soon, 2,500 to 3,500 words were being produced in a session of 90 minutes to two hours. The description continued, quote, As in all her work, it mattered not who was present or who sat at the board with Mrs. Curran. Whether the vis-a-vis was a man or woman, old or young, learned or unlettered, the speed and the quality of the production were the same. From start to finish, some 260 persons contributed in this way to the composition of this strange tale, some helping to take but a few hundred words, some many thousands. Parts of the story were taken in New York, Boston, and Washington. Each time, the story was picked up at the point where work was stopped at the previous sitting, without a break in the continuity of the narrative, without the slightest hesitation, and without the necessity of a reference to the closing words of the last preceding installment. And then, 
Maybe to get out in front of criticism, the elephant in the room is addressed head-on. Quote, the interesting question arises. If Patience is, as she says, an English woman of the 17th century, where did she get the knowledge and the material for this story? It is a question that gives rise to many speculations, but apparently she answers it for herself in the words of Thea to Tiberius in the garden of the imperial palace at Rome. Thy hand did reach forth and leave fall a curtain of black that should leave a shadow ever upon the days of Thea. And the hand that shall draw the curtain wide and leave the light to fall upon thy shadows shall be this. And she held her hand high convenient. Uh, Patience's literary career, it turned out, was just getting started, and we're going to talk about how it continued and how Pearl's life continued after we pause to hear from the sponsors that keep Stuff You Missed in History class going. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Patience Worth's first novel, The Sorry Tale, was a hit when it came out in 1917, both financially and critically. Patience Worth was lauded as a literary genius. 
Like, she literally got put on lists of, like, the greatest authors of the year. Uh, So naturally, there was call for another book, and Patience obliged, this time producing a work that was titled Hope True Blood. This book did not get the same loving reception as the first. The main issue was that while people seemed able to accept that somehow Patience had knowledge of the days of the crucifixion, which would have happened before she was allegedly alive, they were not as able to accept that she had intimate and detailed knowledge of life in Victorian England, which happened almost 200 years after she would have been alive and when the book is set. Even believers at this point started to doubt, and critics kind of got over her in a hurry and started deeming her work boring and kind of silly. For the next several years, Patience Through Pearl continued to churn out literary work to ever-mixed reviews. After Hope Trueblood, opinions stayed very divided about whether Patience was a real entity or Pearl Curran was experiencing some sort of mental illness and There were also people who thought she was just faking it for fame or money. They didn't really need to worry about the money part, though, because patients really did not help the Currens financially, at least not very much. They made a little bit from the deal they had made with Casper Yost, but that money went to the adoption of a daughter who they named Patience Worth Curran. But the Patience Worth novels did not really bring in much money, even though they were popular, Pearl and John tried to start a magazine named for their spirit author, but this turned out to be a money pit, and then it kind of sputtered out. Yeah, there's also a great quote from John where he was talking about, like, how expensive it was to start the magazine and and to do some of the touring that was going on. And then he makes a comment that, like, and we also had basically, like, fed 8,000 people in our home already at this point. Like, Patience is expensive. Right. Um, in 1919, Pearl and Patience appeared before an audience in New York City. That audience was filled with people eager to see their unique working relationship. Patience dictated a poem about Russia and then another about the Red Cross in front of the curious group. There were... Definitely still people who supported Pearl's claim of being a vessel for a ghost author. But overall, the novelty that had brought Pearl rapid fame was kind of wearing off. By the 1920s, fewer and fewer people were following Patience Worth's literary career, even though she did continue to churn out plays, novels, and poetry. That same year, Pearl published a work not under Patience's name, but under her own, The short story, Rosa Alvaro Entrante, appeared in the Saturday Evening Post, and it bore a striking resemblance to the story of Pearl and Patience. When the main character of Mamie, who lives a dull life, visits a clairvoyant, she's told that the spirit of a beautiful woman from Spain named Rosa Alvaro is watching over her. Mamie starts to manifest Rosa, and Mamie's intentions, intellect, and sanity are all called into question. But she comes clean to her best friend that it was an act all along and one that was sparked by feeling unimportant and unseen. In her confession, Mamie says, quote, I was sick of myself. I wanted to feel, feel like a woman that somebody cared about. This story was adapted into a movie called Whatever Happened to Rosa. Yeah, surprisingly, this did not get a lot of attention in 1919, and one would have thought that it would. (laughs) But it didn't. 
Uh, During this time, though, there were also numerous accusations of fraud against Pearl. Psychologists and other scientists wanted to study Pearl, and while she did meet with some of them and allowed a lot of them to watch her use the Ouija board and channel patients, she never submitted to anything like a psych evaluation, and she refused, flat-out refused to be hypnotized. She generally begged out of such scenarios by saying that she was worried that something like hypnosis was going to damage her ability to connect with patients in the long term. But that did not stop papers from being written about Pearl Curran and what people thought was going on in her head. In 1919, Charles Corey of Washington University wrote of Pearl and Patience, quote, it should be said at once that the case is one upon which no satisfactory report can be made without the aid of hypnosis. Anything like a real explanation of the problems to be solved requires data that can be obtained no other way. He makes the case that the likely explanations of subconscious memory or subconscious thought can't really be explored without hypnosis. And he notes that it's interesting that there's no trance state when Pearl is channeling patients and no displacement of the primary identity, that being Pearl. He suggests that rather than a subconscious identity of pearls, which is a popular theory that was going around at the time, that patients might be considered more of a co-conscious manifestation. Near the end of the paper, Corey says this of Pearl Curran, quote, It is worth noting that Patience Worth made her appearance after Mrs. Curran had spent many evenings with a friend, a confirmed spiritualist, with a view of getting a message from the spirit world in the atmosphere of expectancy, of hope that a voice from the dead might be heard. She may be said to have been born, and it is more than possible that the idea became, at that time, a vital part of the dissociated self then developing. Now, we've said a lot of times on the show, we are not mental health professionals, even if we were. We would not diagnose people who are not even alive to be examined, but it just seems extra unethical for a person who is a science professional to write and publish papers essentially diagnosing a person who is still alive without their consent. Uh, This is only one of several such papers that were written about Pearl Curran during her life, and for the record, Patience was apparently really amused by Charles Corey's opinions. Yeah, I uh, I forget exactly how she put it, but basically it made her laugh. Um, in 1922, Pearl's husband, John, died. He had been sick for a while. And at this point, Pearl's mother was living with them. So she suddenly found herself with a daughter and a mother to support on her own. And as a little surprise, there was another child on the way. Pearl, who was 39 at this time, had tried to have a child biologically with no success earlier in her marriage, but she was pregnant when John died. Additionally, John had been really instrumental in her rise to fame. We mentioned earlier that he was the one most frequently making notes and writing down the words of patients. One of Pearl's followers and supporters, a man named Herman Baer, arranged to give her $400 a month after John's death to help her out. Bear also translated some of Patience's writings into German. But though that was certainly no paltry allowance in 1922, Pearl took Patience on the road and started accepting appearance bookings to help provide for the family. She demonstrated the way that she used the Ouija board to talk with Patience and receive her thoughts and writings. And these demos were performed for 
anybody, basically, that would book her. She would do these in large auditoriums, or she would do them in small groups. She would sometimes be in the private homes of very wealthy and famous clients, just kind of seeking to slake their curiosity. Um, I wasn't able to find verification, but one biography of her mentioned that she did this, like, in Douglas Fairbanks's home, for example. Pearl got married two more times after John's death. First, four years after he died, she married a St. Louis doctor who was uh, older than she was. His name was Henry Rogers. That marriage ended after several years, and she moved to Los Angeles and rekindled a romance with a man she had known when she was a lot younger. That was Robert Wyman. They got married in 1931. And unfortunately, Pearl and Robert's marriage did not last long either, but this time it was because Pearl died after they had been together just six years. After allegedly receiving a warning of something bad coming from patients, which Pearl is said to have told friends, Pearl contracted pneumonia in November of 1937, and she died on December 3rd. An article in the LA Times the following month ran under the headline, Will She Meet Her Astral Guide?, People continued to debate whether Patience Worth had ever been a real person, although there were some efforts to find her, but no evidence of her in the historical record ever turned up. Caspar Yost uh, even traveled to England and went to the places that she seemed to be describing and couldn't really line things up properly. One aspect of the story of Pearl and Patience that becomes apparent is how frequently Pearl Curran's biography has been cherry-picked. These Biographies characterize her in ways that would suggest that she just wouldn't have been capable of writing the works of Patience Worth. Or they kind of insinuate that she was a bored housewife who was maybe faking this whole thing because she needed a thrill. Regarding that first angle that she was too uneducated to write the works that were attributed to Patience, that doesn't really hold up. Even though she did end her formal education early, even when she was a preteen, she wrote, what have been described as incredibly imaginative letters. That was according to family members. She would write to them when she was staying at other people's homes. She was known to be really creative. Also, there are plenty of people without formal education who are autodidacts that have a vast range of knowledge. Like, before there was compulsory education in North America, (laughs) that was almost everyone. Uh, We have so little documentation about most people's day-to-day lives. It is entirely possible that she was a reader in her downtime. Yeah, it's interesting. Some write-ups about her I have seen have mentioned, like, she and John didn't even have books. And I'm like, really? That's, like, impossible. (laughs) Uh, And then there is this idea that Pearl was lonely or bored. Listen, everyone experiences those feelings from time to time. But the thing is, a quick search for Pearl in newspapers from the years before the appearance of Patience Worth yielded a lot of mentions in various write-ups. For example, in January of 1910, her name appears in an article in the Cherryvale Journal of Cherryvale, Kansas, about some efforts of women's groups to help grow Missouri. Pearl Curran had spearheaded the whole thing. This article states, quote, Mrs. Pearl Lenore Curran, wife of John H. Curran, chief commissioner for the Missouri Board of Immigration, is the organizer. She lives in St. Louis and is an ardent advocate of the development of Missouri's resources. She is public-spirited and is a good speaker. Her idea is to enlist the cooperation of the women's clubs in developing the state and inducing immigration. 
Pearl is mentioned in another article that same week in a different paper, this time the St. Louis Star and Times. This one mentions that she was elected president of the Society to Elevate Missouri. In that instance, the project the group was focusing on was, quote, better factory laws for women and child labor. They were also planning to, quote, consider the establishment of restrooms for women in towns. So it really doesn't sound like Pearl Curran was sitting on her hands at home wishing for attention or for something to do. That isn't to say that she couldn't have been wanting something more than her life was offering her before patients appeared on the scene, but it's just inaccurate to describe her as having this empty, lonely, isolated life before this ghostwriter brought fame. Yeah, she was, like, so engaged with community efforts and with, like, trying to better her her town. Um There is another really interesting point that popped up while I was doing research that, to me, reframes the Patience and Pearl story a little bit. Everything that was produced through their connection was published under Patience Worth's name. The only thing that Pearl Curran published as herself was that Saturday Evening Post short story. But Stephen E. Broad wrote the following in an article that appeared in Journal of Trauma and Dissociation in June of 2000. Quote, One more preliminary observation. Ouija boards have no provisions for indicating capitalization, punctuation, or parsing into lines, stanzas, and paragraphs. Therefore, all the published and unpublished versions of Patience's communications represent a joint creative venture involving the source, whatever or whoever it was, of the words, and the editor who parses and punctuates them. And because there are no strict or clear guidelines to follow in these cases, Every rendering of Patience's words is inevitably tentative and presumably possible to improve. This is an interesting thing because it's the only time I ever found anyone saying, okay, let's just say she was channeling a ghost or this was part of her subconscious mind. Pearl still deserves some credit for actually turning this into readable stuff, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting uh, way to look at it that I had not considered. So to close out, we're going to share a handful of Patience Worth's kind of wisdom zingers. These are just a a few of them. There are a lot of them on record. Some of them are very funny. Uh, So the first one is, He who buildeth with peg and cudgel, but buildeth a toy for an age, who will but cast aside the bubble as naught. But he who buildeth with word, a quill and a fluid, buildeth well. Should I present thee with a pumpkin, wouldst thou desire to count the seeds? A drink of ass's milk would nurture the swine, but wouldst thou then expect his song to change from want, want, want? Puddings fit for lords would sour the belly of a swine boy. To clap the cover on a steaming pot of herbs will but modify the stench. And then, one that cracks me up, a lollipop is but a breeder of pain. (laughs) Um, for the record, per Merriam-Webster, the word lollipop is in known use, didn't appear until about 1784. That would have been 100 years after Patience Worth was alive. Yeah, I looked in the Oxford English Dictionary, and it had about the same year. I don't remember if it was exactly the same one, but it was right around there. Yeah, not not really the... Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated by Patience Worth. Um, we could talk about all of this on Friday. I have so many thoughts. Um, In the meantime, though, I have a listener mail from our listener, Heather, uh, who writes, 
Hi, Holly and Tracy. Thanks for putting so much effort into your podcast. It definitely has introduced me to so much history I wasn't aware of or introduced me to a much deeper context for historical figures I did know. I especially love episodes about women doing things that women weren't supposed to do in their era since I am a woman in a male-dominated trade. I shoe horses for a living, and when I began 13 years ago, it was pretty rare to see other women at continuing ed events. But in that time, the demographics have shifted in a big way and almost 50% of new students entering the trade are women. It's been very exciting to watch the change, but I digress. As a side note, I am fascinated by the fact that, like, the farrier trade would shift so rapidly because 13 Mm -hmm. years is not a long time. So that's very cool. Uh, But Heather continues, I got super excited today listening to the episode about milk sickness when you got to listener mail. I grew up near Greenfield Village. That's the collection of historic buildings that Henry Ford put together. And it was one of our very favorite places to visit. It is set up like a historic town, and many of the buildings have costumed living history presenters, showing everything from historic farming techniques to hearth cooking and crafts like glass blowing, tinsmithing, and weaving. In addition to the highlights Linda listed in her listener mail, they have a replica of George Washington Carver's cabin, Robert Frost's house, enslaved people's quarters from a Georgia plantation, something that was often not preserved or considered of value, and one of our favorites as a kid, the William McGuffey one-room log schoolhouse, McGuffey of McGuffey reader fame. I would highly recommend visiting if you're ever in the Detroit area. There's also an amazing museum attached, which has many high-profile artifacts, like the chair Lincoln was assassinated in and the Rosa Parks bus, which is part of an exhibit on the civil rights movement that was really eye-opening for me as a teenager. Sorry about the long email, but I love the place so much and I had to share more about it. Here is a picture of our extremely sweet cat Lucy, named after Lucille Ball. Listen. Am I in love with everything about this? Yes. Uh, She is a rare female orange tabby and loves everyone and purrs pretty much all the time. Thanks for all the education and entertainment, Heather. Um, Lucy is adorable. Mm -hmm. She's so cute. I want to kiss that face. Heather, thank you so much for sending this email. I I love hearing about ways that people have engaged with history, like when they're kids and that it got them excited. That's always nice to hear because sometimes... Those museum trips weren't fun. Um, So I'm glad she loved them. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. You can also find us on social media as Missed in History. And if you have not subscribed yet and would like to, you can do that on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.